Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet. Each week I'll be bringing you stories of people living lives of fruitful service, of peace, community, compassion, creative action, and progressive efforts. I'll be tracing the spiritual roots that support and nourish them in their service, hoping to inspire and encourage you to sink deep roots and produce sacred fruit in your own life. I spent much of my early life in a 45-mile radius of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and so I feel especially connected to events and people there. Today, for Spirit in Action, I welcome Bob Graff, who has put his efforts of decades towards making Milwaukee better, especially in the institutions of the Catholic Church, of which he is a part. Bob spent seven years as a Jesuit scholastic student, was part of the Milwaukee 14, arrested for destroying draft records during the Vietnam War, and recently he was arrested for trespassing at Marquette University because of his activism at Marquette opposing the ROTC program there, the Reserve Officer Training Corps. A lay religious Catholic, Bob Graff continues his lifetime of service to his religious ideals, and he joins us today by phone from Milwaukee. Bob, welcome to Spirit in Action. Thank you. I'm so glad to have you come to my attention recently. You got arrested recently because you didn't want to pay, well, you got arrested for trespassing at Marquette. You want to describe that situation, what happened? Well, for a long time, as far as I can look back in the records, there's been a very active protest at Marquette campus since 1969 against the military presence on campus, sometimes called ROTC. This is something many people have been concerned about. Dorothy Day, uh, co-founder of the Catholic Worker, had been protesting military presence on Catholic campus since 1948. It came to a head in Marquette started in 69 after, in 1968, there was an issue of racial injustice where the basketball players were the major part of the African-American presence on campus. Sort of came to a head in the spring of 68 and resulted in some of the African-American students resigning, including the basketball players at the time, well known. In support of that, I had been arrested. But a year after that, not me, but a number of students were involved there. And over the years, it's been on and off, sometimes real popular. But it was kept alive with people in the Catholic Worker community, other people. In 2006, on the anniversary of the beatification date of Franz Jettisinger, the Austrian who had refused to enter the military and was beheaded, the day he was beatified, we had a march in Marquette on the ROTC questioning its presence We've been doing that since 2006. Uh, during that time, we've done a lot of research and record keeping, and it's found out the military has radically changed. It's not the ROTC of Dorothy Day's time or your mother and father's time. After the draft in the 70s was ended, the selective service system, 
I was in a Department of Defense, and the government decided to make education their main route to military recruitment. In the college level, a lot of schools were refusing to have ROTC programs on campus. So eventually, uh, this become troublesome, and they passed a law in 1996 saying that you have to offer this program on a Catholic campus, or any campus, except if you're a pacifist school. If you do not do it, you can be forbidden from any federal funds on any part, not just military funds. It was a dilemma for schools, but the military also at that time, during the 70s and 90s, started creating selected schools, schools by choice, that would offer these military programs of training officers for the Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines. And Marquette had some programs and got to the third one, became one of the, by choice, selected schools. In fact, now it's gone to a point where it's the only university in the five-county area that offers military training, professional training for the uh, Army, Navy, Marines, and Air Force. In fact, Marquette University is the only Jesuit school in the United States that offers all three departments of, of defense, and one of the only two Catholic schools, Notre Dame being the other one, that offer all three departments. There's 21 Catholic schools that offer military training, but Marquette and Notre Dame are the only ones that offer all three departments. Also, in her research, we discovered that the training has radically changed. We uh, had a movie shown of Soldiers of Conscience, which is a well-known movie made with the consent of the Army and the military that goes into very detail what is the military training that is also included in our ROTC schools. And during that film, there's a ethics professor from West Point who talks about the training for reflexive killing, a killing without conscience. And it shows in the movie how they're trained to kill without any decision-making, any conscious mode. It's just automatic on orders or on circumstances. And a part of this reason he explains is because in the Second World War, made a big research study afterwards, they found out that 25% of the military personnel had fired their gun at the enemy. That's unacceptable. So over the years, various wars, Korean, Vietnam wars, they kept into this type of training, like sort of like a video game kind of thing. You just shoot on instinct. Now they have it up to over 95% people fire their weapons at the enemy. This partially explains a little bit about the cases of suicide and PSAD that are increasing. In fact, this military officer even talks about that, that, you know, you can kill somebody without conscience, but it will eventually come back to you and haunt you, you know. And uh, this is what's happening in the present military, and especially in the wars now that many of us consider unjust and immoral, don't fit the criteria for war or self-defense that many of us are, even not pacifists are. So we've been in intensifying our efforts, and in 2009 we started conducting these weekly prayer vigils during Lent where we would go into a library or into the Union and conduct prayer service, like Stations Across, wherever it may be, with our banners that gave our message, Marquette teach war no more, Marquette be faithful to the gospel, no longer host military departments, or more recently our, our message has been simplified to say Marquette teaches killing. This is my side of the story, but they've called the cops on us, they uh, threatened us with arrest, 
but they have never arrested us all these years. This year, they served me with a band at a prayer service in Lent. Just me, personally, you know, there's a group of people there, and it's the order of no trespass. Say, I'm unwelcome. If I come to Market Campus, I'll be arrested for trespassing. And that's what I went to Market Campus, and I wanted to be arrested during the prayer service the Wednesday after. But I had been doing some research in Dorothy Day in the Catholic Worker Archives, which are exclusively you know, there. I mean, Dorothy would not be happy about that, but they're there. And I thought I'd come early, but somehow the security got the word, and they were ready for me. And so I went through the security. My card was deactivated. I went over the desk, announced my name, and I was surrounded by officers. And then they said if I left, I would not be arrested. So I left right away. But then going back to my car, I said, well, I might as well stick around somewhere publicly because I have to meet these people at 4 o'clock for the purse service. And so I was walking back up Wisconsin Avenue, and some police officers picked me up for trespassing because I had gone to the library, and that's what, you know, is. Now, Marquette, in the, the order picking me up, it says I was a known trespasser, unapproved war, anti-war person, all that. But in Marquette's announcement to the press, and as a trial, they state that the protest had nothing to do with the uh, arrest. The judge is very understanding, very sympathetic. Both the judge and the city attorney were very good. But really, after an extensive trial, they allowed us in municipal court. I was on the grounds, and even though the, I thought the uh, police, the security officers testified that day, committed perjury and described it wrong, it didn't really matter. It didn't really matter that they told the press that I had been disrupting classes and knocking people over and stuff on campus. All these allegations really did not matter to the final thing, and then I was my fine was upheld, $171. When I said I would not pay it, the judge said that if I didn't pay in 90 days, they would come and get me and put me in the house of corrections for three or four days for to pay off the money. So that's a long story in, in a long way. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's catch up on some of the pieces. First of all, it may surprise some of our listeners that Catholics in general would oppose military training at Marquette or in general. I grew up Catholic. My father was a a proud veteran of Korean War. He thought that it was a a good thing for a man to learn about being a man is about. How prevalent is the attitude within Catholic circles, including yourself, of course, that training for killing, like they're doing at Marquette, is a wrong thing, that that doesn't uphold the gospel. Well, there's a couple of thoughts here. One is that we have a very outdated justification for war called the just war theory. But as one of the moral theologians that spoke at the rally before the trial said very clearly, and he's very well-respected, Professor McGuire, is that even by those criteria, which are really uh, not too relevant with modern weapons, there's no way you can justify a war, the kinds of wars that we're into, you know, since the World War II. But then there's the other branch that says that believes in the church that gospel causes for nonviolence love and uh, love your enemies and do good to those who hurt you and so forth. And that's a prevalent belief in the church, too. Then there's the whole issue of conscience. The Catholic Catechism states the priority of conscience over anything the government says. It's sort of like a Nuremberg trial kind of thing. Your conscience is priority over that. But the military states very clearly in your manual that military values take a priority over your religious and personal values. So if you're ordered to do something, you do it as you're ordered. 
for example, there's a conscientious objection thing in the military, but there's no selective conscientious objection. In other words, you could believe in a justified war, but you can't go to any war once you're in the military. And so this is what the movie Soldiers of Conscience is all about. It's about following some really long-term soldiers and veterans who at these wars, Iraq and Afghanistan, object against, and they couldn't get, you know, they were punished until they were found to be completely against all wars. So there's uh, Dorothy Day on one side as a pacifist and completely against all wars, famous Catholic worker, Catholic person in every respect. And then there's other wannabe pacifists like me that really don't believe you can teach killing on instinct without conscience. There's another well-known movie, Wooden Platoon, which follows all these soldiers to a very difficult experience in Iraq they had, and they all came back, and many of them committed crimes and suicides and murders and so forth. It was just terrible, and at the end of the movie, one of the guys really tried to get help, talks to his chaplain, counselor, and the counselor said something very, I think, true but damaging. It says, when you go to war like these wars, you have to put your conscience aside. When you get done, you can pick it up again. And this is pretty much what the military teaches right now. So what happens is you do damage. I mean, not, you do damage to other people. And now we're becoming more of a drone-like military where, you, you know, more technical equipment, drones, secret squads, dirty wars, remove the American people from the experience of war. And many of us remember the Vietnam War watching on TV. Now you... You never hear about the... Uh, in fact, I have friends who deny that these drones really have damaged children. And I, I mean, I've seen the pictures, I've seen the results in studies. You know, there's just really complete denial. And people like Marquette don't want to hear it. So Marquette can't say that I was arrested for this. They have to say I was arrested for being disturbed in campus with students and so forth. Because if they say that, they have to argue against the, all the various moral theological arguments. We've had tons of research, and they have just ignored everything, ignored our signs, ignored our papers. We even sat in the new president's office one day about a year ago, and sure, we got a meeting with him. We got a meeting with him eventually, and he just, we asked him some questions, very simple, and he just wouldn't answer them, period, you know. You know, they can't say, yes, we teach a reflexive killing, <laughs> and they can't say, no, we don't, because we know they do. So they just sort of go after the messenger, like defame me, and there's been others in the past. Or they um, ignore us like they did the vigils, just, you know, never arrest us, just pretend it doesn't happen. That's where we're at. We're at a point where the Catholic Church is very clearly, in fact, Pope Paul John II, who's now up for sainthood, very clearly stated the war was immoral, illegal, and unjust. The Iraq War. He had sent his embassy to President Bush at the time to tell him that there was a crime against humanity, and we did it anyway. And he was very clear, and the teaching of the church is very clear. Even if you accept the just war theory, it's clear. One of my friends, a professor, uh, Marquette, retired now, said that the just war theory pretty much went off the window with the atomic bomb because. It never was intended for the modern weaponry, you know. St. Thomas Aquinas had no idea <laughs> what he was talking about war that was going on there. But even the old standards don't apply. I mean, you have to, you know, the innocent survivors, just six standards, none of them apply to this modern warfare. There's no justification for these wars. So the churches condemned them, condemned the killing, but the Catholics, especially the local American church, like the uh, church in Germany, just pretty much ignore it. 
Gordon Zahn did a study, uh, a very active peace activist from Milwaukee, creator of Pax Christi and a couple other Catholic Peace Fellowship, did a sociological study about the German war in the church and the German war of Catholics. And, you know, they pretty much went along with it all, even though they didn't like Hitler and didn't like what he was doing. There was people like White Rose and Franz and the other the people who spoke out. But in general, the church has been, you know, with the government. Um, and the same here in the United States. I'm not saying it's compared to Hitler or Germany. I'm just saying it's the same principle of, you know, uh, I had a good friend of mine say the principle and put it this way. I don't want to hear it. They just don't want to hear it, you know. It will come out over and over again until they finally admit it and open their records. It's this whole Catholic Church thing of secrecy and transparency. is We see this everywhere in the church, you know. So, you know, I'm still a Catholic, though. I'm like you. <laughs> and I still believe in my faith. And uh, and I'm, I'm a Jesuit educated. I have 14 years of Jesuit education behind me, some high school, college, master's degrees. The more I understand my faith, the more committed I am. How common are your thoughts, your beliefs within the Catholic Church? Maybe, you know, there's the Casa Maria Catholic Worker House there in Milwaukee. Yeah. I think it'd probably be pretty common amongst those folks. Well, I, I don't agree. I think there's, some, there's a person at Casa Maria that works for the Marquette now in the Peace Center, and he's really trying to, to damage me personally and, you know, remarks about me. And I mean, other good people, there's people that support us deeply, uh, but it's more than Catholic workers. I mean, I, if you look around, all the people that were there the other day at the trial, I don't know if anybody that really lives in Casa Maria was there. No one was there. But if look at Kansas City last week, 24 peace activists, some Catholic workers, some just in sympathy and across the line on the uh, nuclear base in the uh, Kansas City, one of the three new nuclear bomb factories built by our present administration are being built through private enterprise. You know, it, I think it's, it's there's a lot of people, there's a growing number of people willing to take risk on this. And there's a lot of supporters that won't get arrested, but, you know, I, I find it there's a wide range of support. It's not like in the 70s with the students, you know, and we had hundreds of students out there against the military. You know, pretty much the students are nowadays passing spy with our flyers or signs, you know, don't want to be bothered. Notre Dame and Marquette both have famous centers for peace. Basically, it's pacification of the students, you know, peacemaking centers. And yet both are the leaders in, in military training, you know. So it's it's a, and both have Catholic worker communities in South Bend and, and Milwaukee. So I think it's a lot bigger than uh, Catholic workers. I, I, I just, I mean, they are some Catholic workers. I, I feel myself, I call myself a Catholic worker, even though I'm not part of Casa Maria. It's just like there's a movie out now called Hit and Stay. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's about the Catholic left movement in the uh, 60s and 70s where there was uh, actions like Kingsville 9 and Milwaukee 14. There's hundreds of those actions where some of us went in, got the selected 1A files out, took them outside and napalm them, burned them or destroyed them some way. There's a movie, whole movie about that movement, which is really gone now, you know, in the Catholic Church. It was there for many years, and it was like hundreds and hundreds of people involved on all levels, you know. And there's hundreds of actions, and the movie's fascinating to see, because I, I actually was one of the actions in Milwaukee 14, 1968. I was part of that, which is like the second major action after Kitchenville was nine. 
people like the Berrigans are known for that, but there was thousands of people that did that, stood publicly and sent to jail. So there was a, there has been, and there's a big movement now, especially on the nuclear site thing. You know, there's everybody knows about Sister Megan Rice, 83 year old nun that trespassed, but she did a very good job at it. She got all the way to the nuclear reactor in Tennessee, and that really embarrassed the government. So it's a little bit more than trespassing at her. She's probably in jail for the rest of her life because she uh, broke through three barriers, got into the actual site, you know, and which is really scared the hell out of them. That she, of course she's done violent passes, but but most of the time it's just crossed the line, like SOA. SOA School of Americas. School of Americas, yes. People have been doing that for years and years, and they're still doing it. And uh, Roy Bajaz was excommunicated for supporting a woman priest, but they're still doing it. You know, right? There's women priests, they're doing it. You know, there's a lot of layers of this. So you have to find out about it, you know, like the Catholic workers have a little list of, they go tell us people about it, or NCR has articles, Catholic Reporter. It doesn't really make the papers. It did here only because the religious editor knew some background, and, and I've been involved in another struggle with the Catholic Church over a million dollars that should be going to the poor and it's not going to the poor. Because of that background, maybe she uh, covered it. Also, because Marquette, Milwaukee and Marquette were the place of Milwaukee 14, which I was involved in, was involved in the 68 resolution of, of institutional racism, which has resulted in a very good program now for uh, Education Opportunities Program, which is now going to celebrate its 50th anniversary. It's real, Marquette's real proud of it. But it was the same request that they turned us down, locked us up for, and uh, kicked me out of school and took my degree and all that stuff back, which I, I have no regrets, you know, any of that. And that was just me, it was a bunch of people. And thought, you know, at the time, like I say, students were much more involved. In those days, we didn't do a lot of service, direct service. Now they do direct service, but they don't, you know, they'll go to Catholic work or Cosmere to help with the poor, but they don't connect that with the resistance. And so it swung, the balance has swung completely over. So now Marquette students do tons and tons of service. That's part of their whole curriculum. But they don't do any resistance. Where I think the Catholic worker itself has really balanced the two, you know. Dorothy was arrested for resisting the war and she was doing the service. You know, Catholic workers have always had that double-sidedness to them. Now they praise and honor these people, King and Dorothy Day, and, but they don't really, the side of political change is not really talked about anymore, you know. I had people even tell me that, all oh, King wasn't arrested very much, Gandhi wasn't arrested very much, he wasn't in many nonviolent actions, and Dorothy was. In fact, that's what I was going to do research on the day I was arrested. I had done some research that was about how many nonviolent actions Dorothy Day was involved in. And she was involved in a lot of them. But I had to prove it to people, even people that praise her and write about her. You know, what bothered me about the whole banning thing or order no trespass is they would never admit what it was about and then they defamed my character. And I've been associated with the Society of Jesus since 1957. One way or another, I went to high school in 57, Marquette High, and I went to Jesuits after that. I've been, I have a graduate degree from Loyola. I've been associated with a lay group, associated with the Jesuits for many years. I mean, I've been really out there, and for them to just have some spokesperson say, it's nothing to do with that. It's He was pushing himself through some crowd or some, I don't know. And they made up some allegations. Even the security officer that day that claims to be there just 
really miss, you know, since I was arguing with them and all that. It wasn't really relevant because to the technicality of the law, but it was pretty much shows you how much ends they will go to to uh, not deal with their real issue. And that's been, our group that's been doing things, the informal name of our group is called Breaking the Silence. And I think we did that at a very little cost, three or four days in jail, very small cost. We broke the silence on this one issue of Marquette. Well, you're talking about so much. I want to follow a lot of different threads. Number one, I want to mention to our listeners that I've had a number of guests on this program that you might want to go back to, and all of those are available on our website, northernspiritradio.org. So you can listen to my interviews with people talking about moral injury or talking about just war theory or talking about various Catholic groups' actions like Pax Christi. All of those are available on my website. Just go and search. You can search by religion or topic or just a name, if you wish. We talk about people like the Barrigans and so on. So all of that is available on northernspiritradio.org. This is Spirit in Action, and today I'm speaking with Bob Graff, who is part of the Milwaukee 14, way back during the Vietnam War, and he continues his activism with Catholic workers and other folks. On our website, you can find all of our eight years of programs for listening and download. You can find links to our guests. You can post comments, and we love to have two-way communication. There's also a place to make donations. Your donations help us a great deal. I also want to remind you to support community radio station like the one you're probably listening to this via. Community radio station is so important for bringing to our populace an alternate view of news and music, stuff that you get nowhere else. So remember to support your local community radio station. Again, we're speaking with Bob Graff. I'm Mark Helpsmeet. Let's talk about some of the threads of what you've mentioned already, Bob. The Milwaukee 14. Let's get a little bit concrete. What actually happened and what year was it? It was in the um, September 24th of 1968. There was 14 people from around the country, a number of priests and one brother and some lay people like myself at the time. We basically, in the spirit of the cases of nine and other actions that came later, we went into the Milwaukee Selective Service System files. We took out uh, 1A files. What does that mean, 180 files? In that time, the Selective Service System was a non-voluntary system. You were just picked out and drafted. When you're 1A, you, that meant you were about ready to be taken to the military, you know. Or you pretty much you went to the military or you went to Canada or you went to prison, you know. It wasn't much of a choice here. Or you had an exemption. A lot of college kids had exemptions at the time or seminarians had exemptions. I had a seminarian exemption, which ran off that same day. But anyway, so those 1A files were in a certain file. These are days before computer systems, you know, and uh, records you know, uh, paperless records. So we went into all 14 draft boards, or not 14, but all the draft boards, whatever the number, and we stuffed our bags full of all the 1A files. We took them outside in a little square that was outside of that draft board, and in, it's downtown Milwaukee, and we put some homemade napalm thrown on it. We lit it and sang around, stood around, sang songs read from the scriptures and uh waiting for the uh, police to come. There's actually uh, films. We had media there, and there's some film on my website, nonviolentcow.org. Say that again? My website is called www.nonviolentcow.org. 
And on there, on the right side, you, if you look at Milwaukee 14 today and click on that, you'll see some of the uh, actual live coverage of the event and what happened to the various people involved. Uh, a number of them now have died. But we did that, and then the police came, arrested us. We were arrested on, for burglary, breaking in, arson, for burning, and theft, for stealing. And later on, the federal charges, which sounded nicer, were for um, destroying the selective service files. We were taken to jail. It took us about a month for supporters to get us out in bond. Twelve of the 14 went to trial with the state charges in 1969, and two went separately for various reasons to federal courts. The 12 of us, at the end, in order to get our case heard, we had lawyers, but we had a uh, really couldn't had to testify ourselves, be our own lawyers. And so with the jury, we were able to present our case and had people like Howard Zinn testify about nonviolence, nonviolent actions. And we were found guilty of burglary, arson, and theft, sentenced to two years consecutively for each count. And we were all taken to the max security prison and at the time upon some people were sent off to various camps and farms or medium security or a youth security prison. And we spent from one year to 18 months, one of our priests, Father Lorenzo Rosebaugh Abelite, who uh, ended up being a famous martyr in Guatemala. But anyway, he spent the most probably time in that cooperation. Two other people went to federal prison, did their time. One of them was Mike Cullen, who was a friend of mine, founded the Catholic Worker House Casa Maria in Milwaukee. And he eventually was deported to Ireland with his family and kept there many years before he could come back and came back about 15 years later. And But basically, we're, they were from all over the place, people from Boston, you know, everywhere. But there was a whole series after that, Chicago 15 and Jersey 28 and on and on. And, and this is what this movie that's out in the circuit, the movie circuit now, in stay is all about documenting these actions. So we were pretty much the second big one. There Phil Berrigan at Ports and Blood with some other people before in Baltimore before the Cajun Sue 09 action. And then, then there was the Milwaukee 14. And then there was like tons of them, a slew of them all over the place. And basically they were in a similar format. That's in a movie called We Hit the Action and Stayed and, and were caught. And, you know, and uh, was a trial. Actually, some trials. You're found not guilty once in a while, but mostly, you know, people serve sentencing. So that was the Catholic left, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't exist now, but it was, uh, but a lot of Catholic people now, um, even organizations like Gordon Zahn Help Start, Jim Forrest, Milwaukee 14, a lot of people who started these uh, organizations like Catholic Peace Fellowship or Pax Christi, Gordon Zahn was one of the founders of Dorothy Day and others. Pax Christi, they've gone uh, a very good route, but more of a education talk, discussion, no really nonviolent direct action, disobedience. I'm not criticizing that. I've learned a lot from these groups, and I've been a part of these groups. But there is an aspect of what people in the civil rights movement and in the peace movement did that's missing. Howard Zinn would call it civil disobedience. It's a key factor in all the various labor movements, civil rights it's really always been a you know, key item that has made them happen. You have to do something more than talk. And I get emails every day. There's 20 talks every night just about. I only go to one or two a week because I can't handle it. 
I can't handle hearing these things about all these issues and then going to another one, you know, it's like we've become defensive and we're always defending ourselves. And I just got tired of it. I said, hell with defending myself. I don't have to prove that I'm a good guy, you know, not a disruptive person. I just go on and do it. I can go to the library and I don't care if you want to arrest me for going to the library to do research and during the day. That's their issue, you know. We have to stop. And, and there are people, not, I'm not talking about myself, there's hundreds and hundreds of people around this country who are going out and not violently standing up for their rights. And it's working. I mean, um, people that do it, like the gay rights people, who did it really very strongly, and uh, they did gain a lot of rights, you know. And other groups can't do it, like people with mental illness, who they can't get organized because they don't even accept a lot of them, the stigma. I support that so much because they've been really pushed down and down. I mean, I, I've done some stuff with segregation in the church in Milwaukee. It's it's unbelievable, you know, we're so much. I just went to a prayer vigil this morning for you, two young men, one of them was 20 years old, who was just innocent victim of a shooting incident on the north side. Somebody started shooting and he got killed. There's just too much of this, and we can't be silent anymore. You know, and we can, that violent action is better than expresses love more than words. Words are good, but if I love Marquette, you just spoke about, you know, I can't speak there anyway, but if I really love somebody, I'm going to do something about it, you know. There's one more thing on this uh, the famous Nazi fighter. Weitzel, the famous uh, foster chairman, he uh, has a famous quote and he says, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. He goes through a whole series of things and the opposite of uh, is indifference. Indifference, tapping our phones or messing our computers up, who cares? We cannot be on defensive anymore. We have to go after what we believe in. Slow down the empire falling apart. You know, the empire is falling apart and we have to throw some things in it so we can build up a community perhaps before it's destroyed. You know, that's my attitude at least. A lot of good attitudes there. I think I want to get into some of the detail, hear some of the stories of your life. For instance, you spent something like eight years in Jesuit training. So from age of 18 up to 25. Yeah. So why did you pull out of that? Were you nurtured? Was it deeply inspirational to be part of Jesuit training, Jesuit community? Oh, yes. I, I, in those days, you spend first four years out in the wilderness, like, you know, in a country and a room for the world, and that was very healthy for me to get myself together. And I went to St. Louis for studies in philosophy, and my last year was at Marquette, the university student. It really helped me understand, get progressive, and understand what's my mission and you know my value system, and helped me get in touch with myself. And I really do appreciate that education. I really just sort of gradually walked the same path I was going. And one day I was outside of the Jesuits. You know, it was like a very natural thing. In fact, I when I left the Jesuits, uh, summer of '68, I felt. Oh, I'm going to have this tremendous event. So I went to stay with Dan Berrigan, a Jesuit, long-time Jesuit, still a Jesuit, 90-some years old, in Cornell at the time. And I felt, well, I'm going to get really hit by this change. And I was the same person. Nothing happened. So I came back, and same friends, same people. You know, just kept moving on. He got to the fringes when he was already a priest and elder, you know, but a lot of other people get to the fringes earlier and so we, you know, just keep going in the directions that we're called, and, and we're not a priest someday. I mean, not a seminary. I was never a priest. I, was, I wasn't even close. I was halfway through the training. 
But there's a lot of priests that left the Jesuits. I, I just have a friend. He was 80 years old. He's in the Jesuit provincial. He's in Omaha now in Wisconsin province, and he just left the Jesuits in the priesthood at 80 years old. <laughs> and wrote a three-page letter why, you know, and basically uh, it's not lack of appreciation of his life. It's just a matter of going in the same direction. And he finally, in even at 80, he's moved away, you know. He was one provincial. He was... Uh, what does it mean to be a provincial? A provincial is the head of the uh, order for a province. You know, the Wisconsin province is like five states, and he was the superior of that. You know, it's a hierarchical system like the archbishop and the pope, you know. We have our superior general in Rome, and we have our provincials. So he's very high level, and even at that age... He was. I mean, he, after his provincialship, he went out to work in Omaha, and, and he, he just left from there, you know. And then I have another friend who's still a Jesuit. He was at my trial, and he was at my uh, rally daily. He's 93 years old. He was standing by me. Now he's a little bit elderly, and he's, he's in a wheelchair and all that. He came out to the event. I don't think he's going to leave. I think he's too close to dying, you know. But point is that he's the one who got in trouble last year for saying mass with a, a woman priest at School of Americas. Another friend of mine who's a woman priest from Milwaukee, he said mass with her, and he got censored. You know, he can't wear his collar anymore, and he can't say mass in public anymore, and, you know, so forth. But after 93 years old, they're not going to kick him out. It's <laughs> not like Roy, you know. <laughs> Roy's pretty old, too, but not that old. I've had Roy on my program before, too. I know him, too, a little bit. I, and he was, in fact, this woman priest that Father uh, Brennan, the 93-year-old Jesuits in Mass, with, is uh, the one that Roy was at her ordination when he was uh, excommunicated, you know, for that. Wouldn't take it back. We're all connected. People in Milwaukee like to say we are neighbors and connected, you know, and I think in this, in this realm, Quakers, Catholics, Lutherans, Muslims, followers of Gandhi, there's just so many of us. It's just that we kept divided or divided, like even some people now this, use this as division, you know, that's, oh, you're organized against this and that, you know, and you're against the veterans or whatever it is. You know, the attempts are to divide us, divide and conquer, right? So we have 25 issues going on. I decided in my life to focus on two. One is the archdiocese and segregation of the poor and the minorities, which I'm working on. And the other one was in military in Marquette. Gandhi says we should start at home. So, you know, it's like my mom told me, charity starts at home. I don't think she meant this. but <laughs> And so I decided to look around, and there's all these issues, you know. And there's so much that can be done. I'm going to focus on just two. One is for the church to spend that million dollars they got from sale of churches in North Central poor area to the poor, which we're not quite winning that one. And the other one is Marquette to not teach killing anymore. So that's my two, you know, I mean, not that I don't support other ones. I go to other events and I do works of mercy kinds of stuff. But in terms of, we got too many going on and we can't be going to talks every night and then coming home and going to another talk, you know, or another fundraiser. You know, I went to Haiti, and all these groups were raising money for Haiti. I went with this SOA watch, people with Roy and other people to Haiti, somewhat after the uh, earthquake. And all these groups I was giving money to, they had just abandoned the camps. You know, they had raised all this money. The camps had no toilets, and they didn't want them in the camps, and they, were, they had no food. People were just worse off, and there was no housing going on, and all these millions and millions of dollars 
In fact, uh, Bill Quigley, uh, you might know too, did a study of where the money went, and it didn't go to the people. I stopped giving to all these groups, you know, <laughs> because I just can't deal with that. Uh, you know, it's all this talk and show and fundraisers and money, and the people are just worse off. And that's what's going on in the whole world. And, you know, it's like I've been in other places, like El Salvador, you know, Venezuela. I've seen all the side, and, yet, and it's just like we're all connected, and we're all fighting for the same thing. It's just that we're kept divided. And it was that way in, in 68. When I walked out of the street in Milwaukee 14, people would love or hate what I did. At least we took a stand. Now they just say, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to talk about it. Or the left side says, the active side says, Oh, we got to go with another talk tomorrow. There's Cuba, there's this and that. And we keep chasing around, and the conservatives then react, and, it's, and then we end up with a health bill that's written by the health companies, and, and then the health companies now are fighting the health bill that <laughs> they wrote, you know. It's like we have an immigration bill, and we give in to all these terrible things, and then they say, oh, well, we want more, you know. I don't know. It just goes on and on and until we get on the offensive. As Marquette, I think, was a little bit on the, uh, we were on the fence of a little bit in this uh, trial thing. We made it our issue. We could have reacted to all these personal attacks. We did not. We had people speak to what was really going on, you know. Even the judge understood it. The judge and the city attorney, uh, the judge said, I, outside of this, I would agree with you, you know, Mr. Graff. I benefit from your years of, in the six, both of them were African Americans who had gone to Marquette and benefited from what we did. But, they, you know, technically, I did break the law. You know, there was no denying that, you know. But the point is that we got to go on the fence. The fact that they allowed us to do this in the city municipal courtroom gave us hours of time to have this trial. It was unbelievable, you know, gracious, you know. That's our victory. And not just getting not doing it again, you know, keep it. Like Catholic workers are people against the nuclear movement. They just keep doing it. They keep crossing the line at the three plants, the new... I mean, how many people recognize we built three new nuclear plants in 30-some years? We never had a new nuclear bomb plant. Now we have three of them coming up in Tennessee, New Mexico, and Kansas City. Uh, and private contractors, you know, everything's so privatized, even the military. The militarization of the border is going to be privatized, you know. Which means they can hide it from public view. Yeah, well, like these nuclear plants, the one in Kansas City. Never went through Congress. The city bought the land and rented it to the government, or somebody got the land. If private companies built the plant, and but they're making nuclear bombs. <laughs> I mean, the money is coming from us, but we never had to go through Congress. And the wars are like that. The drone wars are all privatized, and that's why they're having so many leaks because they they have so many contractors doing all this stuff, you know. Because some people have conscience, you know. There are heroes, Mannings of the world, you know. You know, I hear dedication on your part, and obviously it's many decades, 50 years of dedication. You've clearly been engaged and continue to be engaged. Nothing's discouraging you that way. But I do hear a note of discouragement. I do hear your concern that there aren't all the students out there with you were used to back in the 60s, 70s. I do hear your concern that the Catholic Church is selling out, I mean, for the money that they get in via ROTC and so on. How hopeful can you be, or what is your hope based on? You know, I if I didn't believe... I think Thomas Merkin said it in a letter to Jim Forrest in the 60s and 70s, a letter to him. He says, my conscience, you have to work for these things. 
But you don't work for results. You work because it's the right thing to do. In other words, if you're looking for results, you're going to get discouraged. I do what I believe is the right thing to do. Now, on very minor things, I get results. Like they took down the basketball rim so the African-American is not playing in a neighborhood park in a white neighborhood by me couldn't play full-court basketball. They've been doing this all over. I spoke out and a number of people, and we, after a couple of years, they put all the rims back again. <laughs> but that's very seldom that that's happened. You know, that's not a minor issue. I have another one going on with the church right now. The, uh, they closed down in the African-American. The most segregated city in the United States is Milwaukee. The most segregated part of the city is the north central side. The poorest, Milwaukee, the fourth poorest city, the poorest side is the north central Milwaukee has the most people that are sent to prison, and the people sent to prison and from going from prison are back in the North Central. And so we can go on and on. This is the side of town that the Catholic Church had 17 churches in the 60s, now has three. And taking the money from the recent church they closed, which is another murder church, one I belong to, took over $1.1 million transferring it to other churches out of the area. And I, I fought that. I'm still fighting that. I'm losing, but... I made St. Vincent de Paul calls. I've seen people increasingly poor. The landlords aren't even providing refrigerators and stoves anymore. We're the only people that can call to get maybe some a bed or a refrigerator and a stove. You know, the church, you know, this is our Catholic church that talks about social justice and all that, the poor and the Pope and all that. I just brought it to the attention, to the forefront, and they, I mean, they got the same kind of treatment. But now, am I doing it for results? Yes, I like to get results, but if I don't, should I get discouraged? No. I mean, I get discouraged. Like you said, I have a little discouraged in my voice. And some people call it negativity, you know. But I'm not really negative, I don't think. I'm just sort of saying to people, you got to do your what you believe in, your conscience. You just can't numb yourself. I've numbed myself for many years. I wasn't business and after multiple. I was all over the place. And then I was doing well, making money. I just didn't feel great. You know, I just had to come back to and do what I have to do, you know. Can you tell me a little bit more about your time away from activism? You were making money. I mean, you have raising a family, probably, that kind of thing. Right. Well, I was after the uh, Milwaukee 14, after I got out of jail, I, I helped some other people. We started a, one of the early private credited schools where uh, young girls that were kicked out of school because they got pregnant or guys who went to, you know, were in trouble with juvenile delinquents, so-called. And then after that, I got into community organizing, sort of like a Saul and Street type organizing in Philadelphia, out east. And then after that, I got back to Madison, a job never worked out, and we had moved around a lot, our young family, and I fell into some kind of business adventure, which eventually led to my own direct meal advertising business. And for the 17 years when my two sons were growing up, we did that, and then eventually uh, got to this priest that just resigned, 80 years old priest, that brought all the ex judges together and to a group, he was starting a lay organization of people associated with the society. We uh, decided to do that. My wife and I, the kids are growing up now, and did that. And But I couldn't understand why I was making all this money and doing all these things, but I think it's the will of God because I said, I'm not really satisfied. But when I sold my business, I sold my uh, cottage, I sold my boat and my house and everything. Didn't give the money to the poor, but <laughs> I, didn't do, I did part one of what Jesus said. But I was able to, with that sort of resources, come back and work in St. Vincent de Paul. I worked in uh, 
uh, as a youth minister, you know, my last job, some church work, you know, with kids and social activity, and then I retired when I could, and I had that money, you know, help me get settled down. So we were able, you know, God provided those things. So I didn't understand at the time, but it was a way for us now to uh, have that freedom, for me at least to have the freedom and to be able to do this. You know, I don't have, I'm, I'm in solidarity with the poor, but I'm not a poor, you know. I joke with my poor friend. I have a lot more poor friends than I ever had. I didn't have any really poor friends for many years. But now I joke with them that when Walker passes his big tax cuts and raises their taxes, you know, well, man, I've got a big tax cut coming this year. <laughs> You're going to have yours raised, you know. People living on Social Security or wherever they be, SSI. And now my friends are people with mental illness. My friends are people that are seniors. My friends are people that are very active like I am, you know, that believe this, you know. So it's another whole I have to prioritize my life. I, I put my service to people in need first, and I do these other things. You know, like I mentioned, just two issues right now. So that's it. I have a house, a car, and you know I have all the comforts. I have grandchildren. So I'm blessed. I'm very blessed. In fact, when I do things for people, they all say, well, we should pay you for driving me here. I said, no, you've given me so many blessings. I get tons of blessings. I go every day. I go to people's houses and do things for them, and they... Uh, you know, we go to the poor not to do things for them, but to get our blessings. And God gives all his grace and blessings to the poor. One of my Indian priest friends told me, and we got to go there to get it. So <laughs> I'm really wealthy right now. I'm blessed every day. You know, I feel blessed. And uh, I'm not saying this in a sort of a corny way, but I, I just feel when something's right, it's peaceful. You know, when you get your mind disturbed, when I start thinking about all these things they're saying about me gets me upset but when I think about all the good people that are believing this I really feel peaceful you know so that's the call a nation discernment seeing nature as a sermon of spirits which I did study by the way <laughs> you discern what is God's will for you and God's conscience for you looks like you found what God calls you to and you're living it out and who could ask for more yes amen you mentioned, Bob, that your website is nonviolentcow.org. Why nonviolent cow? There's two parts. The nonviolent part is uh, what we talked about today. The other part I'm interested in is growing. We have growing power here in Milwaukee, you know, growing ecologically sound, organic way. I have gardens all over my house, my small house, and using worm castings and worms, uh, we can grow a lot in small areas. And so the first name I had for it when I started the site was nonviolentworm.org. <laughs> in fact, that, if you look that name up, you'll still find my website. And I, I do a daily diary of the worm, which I've done for many years now. And basically it was about my observations in life. One of my teachers at Jesuits taught me how to make little observations. It's gone from growing stuff, you know, nature, and it's gone back to the civil rights, it's gone back to peace, war, this kind of issues. In that website, yeah, one side is about growing stuff, you know, using worms and so forth and compost and castings and worm poop and all that. The other side is about this all Marquette, nonviolence and stuff like that, and I try to connect them both. And then the name change came about, people say, well, the name worm means a lot of things with viruses and worms in your computer. But I went to India, a Gandhi pilgrimage uh, with some Gandhi leaders, to stay in Ashmans and various places, and I saw that the cow had a special place. And it wasn't for the cow is meat because they don't eat it. It wasn't for the milk 
which is a secondary thing, it was for the cow poop. And the cow poop dung, as Gandhi praises greatly, was dried out and used for planting, as farmers do here, but they also added worms to it, castings, which is uh, I found in Guatemala all over the world. This is not new thing we learned here in the United States in growing power. This has been going on for years. And worm castings, or worm poop, as you would call it, have this tremendous value of healthy organic enzymes and so forth. It's the best kind of natural fertilizer you can get in the world. And so they feed the worms in the, the cow poop that have just dried out, and they create this beautiful soil of energy. They bag it, and they you know, use it for the land. Uh, this is all over the, the world they do this. This is a very ancient way of growing, and we bought it here in town. And so um, I saw the cow as a symbol. And then, of course, there's the wild cow, the cow that just roams everywhere, that, you know. And they use the cow urine, the cow milk, the cow is everything. And that's got a holiness to it. So I call it nonviolent cow, but I still kept the diary of the worm. <laughs> and also my son moved to a house across from a dairy farm. So now my grandchildren are showing cows at state fairs. And so cows are a big part of my life. Every time I go up there, I can take pictures of cows, you know, from my website. <laughs> I hope you keep getting that name out there in the public. I, I wanted to say milking it for all it's worth. Oh, yes. wow. Okay. Yeah, you were expecting that. Okay. <laughs> no, I didn't. That's a new one, but I like it. Thank you so much for doing that work, for standing as a, a longtime witness at Marquette University because you love it. Yes. For you to be there standing in love and to help Marquette University and the Catholic Church to be better, that's just a wonderful witness. I thank you for doing that, and I thank you for joining me for Spirit in Action. Thank you very much for inviting me to join us. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. This Spirit in Action program is an effort of Northern Spirit Radio. You can listen to our programs and find links and information about us and our guests on our website, northernspiritradio.org. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Mark Helpsmeet, and I welcome your comments and stories of those leading lives of spiritual fruit. May you find deep roots to support you and grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice.